Blessing for me to come to you today in this live webcast. I trust that you are blessed and ready to hear the message of loving without feeling condemned. So many times we feel condemned when it comes to scriptures in the Bible that says that we should love our neighbor and care for people. I'm thinking especially of the passage in 1 John where it says that if you have this world's goods and you see your brother need and you don't give to him, how does the love of God dwell in you? There are scriptures like that that we need to have a look at and uh, we are in this uh, coming session. We will be speaking, it will be the third session where I'll be talking about love and what love is. But I first want to welcome everybody that is watching for the first time. Thank you for slotting in and I trust this service will bless you. Just as we start, let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your kindness and your goodness. I want to thank you that you love us. I want to thank you that you've got a life for us that is greater than the things of this world. You've got a life for us that is actually born from you yourself, where you have come to make your abode with us. Father, I want to thank you that you would powerfully speak through me today by your Holy Spirit. That is what my desire is, and I know that is your desire, and that it will be so. Amen. Amen. Now, as our custom is, we have communion together as an internet church, and I'm going to read from Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 9 as we do this uh, communion. I want to read, um, let us start with Romans 9. Um, I'm going to read from verse 30. It says, What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to the righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it's written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. So what he's saying here, and you might say, Barty, what does that have to do with the communion? But what he's saying here is that the Gentiles actually attained unto the righteousness which is by faith. And here it says that the Israelites, or Israel, followed after the law of righteousness, and they have not attained uh, to the law of righteousness because they did not seek it by faith. In other words, and this is the way I see this passage, they did not look at the law to see what it promises and what they should believe. They looked at the law to see what they had to do, and that is what caused the problem. Now let's go and look at a, a person who lived by faith, who had righteousness, is righteousness revealed and manifested by simply believing in the promise of God. And this is now in Romans chapter 4, and it says here um, from verse 17, it says, As is written, I have made you a father of many nations, before him whom, before him whom we believe, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, this is now Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body dead 
when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. So we see here that Abraham sought the fulfillment of what God promised by faith and not by works. So God came to Abraham and promised him that his seed will be um, uh, uh, like, the, like the stars. And that's how many it would be. And he believed that this seed would not just be as many as the stars, but as a shining light, talking about eternal life. For he believed in the God who was able to raise the dead. We've just read it there um, in verse 17. He believes in the God that quickens the dead. So he believed in the resurrection. He believed that God promised unto him something that can actually just come by a being that has power over death who conquers death and he sought the fulfillment of what God promised by faith in other words and this is what the scripture says here he staggered not at the promise through unbelief but he was fully persuaded that what God promised he was also able to perform so when we look at the law when we read the scriptures we need to see it as a promise and then we need to believe that God is able to fulfill what he has promised. And then we are living, uh, then we, it will be imputed to us as righteousness. In other words, the right thing to do in the presence of all the Old Testament scriptures, in the presence of all the scriptures you can find, all the commands you can find, is to see it as a promise of life. That is what you need to see. And as you see that and believe that he can actually fulfill what he has promised. And we all know through many studies and many messages that I've preached here and what the scripture teaches, that the promise is eternal life. So as we believe that God can perform that, what happens? It's imputed to us for righteousness. Now, coming to the, com uh, uh, to the communion. When we look at the communion, what does this communion actually teach us? This communion is the fulfillment of the law. It talks about our communion with the man, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God today, where he's resurrected, where he is above sin and above death, wherein we say that the old man, the, the law man, the man wherein we were seeking righteousness by our works, and wherein the Gentiles were seen as outsiders and disqualified, that that was taken away and broken. And as we eat and we partake of this, we are now partaking of the resurrection and that in his blood as well we find that all our sins have been taken away what that means is what disqualifies us what actually causes or let me put it this way a better word would be where we are not partakers of what god has promised has been taken out of the way by the blood that flowed so as a web church we are celebrating the work of jesus christ in which he accomplished in his death and resurrection and we are not seeking the fulfillment of what God has promised as pertaining to our hope, which is the hope of the resurrection by the works of the law, but we are seeking it by faith, simply believing what he has promised he will also fulfill. There's a promise in the resurrection. That promise is eternal life. There's a promise in seeing the old man has died away and that there's a new man. That promise is our 
bodily resurrection wherein we as humans, not just as spirits, but as full humans share in the goodness and in the glory of God. Amen. Let me thank the Lord for his body and his blood and then we can enjoy the communion together. Father, I want to thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus and that we can have communion and fellowship with you and that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son for we are in his message and in his commandment which is that you have promised us eternal life. And from there we share in your life in this world. Thank you for that truth, Lord. Amen. Let us enjoy the communion together. Jesus we have seen and now we love The morning sun has shown your light on us The life we live, we live anew Love you give, we give it back to you. The love you give, we pour it out to you. To God be the glory for the things you have done. We will go. Tell the story of this love Here now as we stand, we stand in you Begging by your grace, deep into This mystery of love that's called us home And the wonders of the Oh 
greetings everybody. Today we're going to be talking about living a life of love free from condemnation. Condemnation free loving. So many times when it comes to loving one another, we have certain rules and certain ideas of love inside our minds. And we don't understand exactly what the Bible has said about these things and we feel so full of guilt and so condemned. We look at Jesus, how he laid down his life for his friends. And we think of that passage where Jesus has said that uh, no greater love is anyone that he laid down his life for his friends and that we should also lay down our lives for one another. And we think of who of us will ever die on a cross for a friend? Who of us will give his life for someone else? Uh, who of us would rather say, well, I'm not going to let my child have a car. I'm rather buying a car for someone else. Uh, and there's a, an underlying feeling of guilt wherein we feel guilty about certain scriptures in the Bible. And the previous sessions, I've been speaking about what it means to feel loved. Now, I'm going to recap on that uh, just in the first 10, 15 minutes of this message. And then I'm going to go and look at what uh, it means to have a commandment from Jesus Christ. What does that commandment mean if we are commanded to uh, to love what does that commandment mean and then we're going to look at the the definition of the new commandment and then as well as paul and first corinthians 13 and what he meant when he said that if you don't have love you are nothing we're going to look at that in its all in its context um i just want to thank the lord before we start with this message Father, I want to thank you that I can preach today a message that is something that can be foreign to our minds because of legalism and law. But I want to thank you, Father, that you have come and you have given commandments that we should seek it by faith and not by the works of the law. And I thank you, Lord, that we can look at these passages from faith, the persuasion that Jesus was raised from the dead, the hope that there will be eternal life for us and then the love that you have for us in manifesting the fullness of you in us in the day of Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start off by just uh, looking at what it means to feel loved. You will remember in our previous two sessions, I spoke in detail about the difference between feeling gratitude and feeling loved you know you can have gratitude in your heart that something was given to you but that does not mean you feel loved if i think of a police officer that comes and uh gives me a fine uh, or i'm supposed to get a fine and he says well i'm not giving you a fine today i'm very grateful that i did not get a fine but that does not mean that the police officer loves me uh Let's say, let's use a, another example. If you go and you need to pay something at a shop and the owner of a shop of the shop is a, a guy and you are a girl and you come, or you're a woman and you come and you have to pay and they say, well, today we give it for free. It does not mean that the owner of the shop is in love with you. It simply means you don't have to pay. And you have gratitude for that, but you're not feeling that that person is in love with you or that he loves you. 
And those feelings can be close, cl closely related, but I believe there is a big difference. John came and he declared what love is. And we're going to read that in John 3, 14 to 16. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we see here that Jesus says that the Son of Man must be lifted up as the serpent was lifted up in the desert with Moses. And the purpose is that man will not perish, but have everlasting life. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what did God give? God gave his only begotten Son, and we saw that in Acts 13, uh, clearly from verse 38, I think, onwards. It says there, that uh, the a prophecy was fulfilled of the resurrection and that is the day Jesus was begotten from the dead and he is the only begotten of God, meaning that he is the only one that was raised from the dead to never have the ability to die. You'll remember that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but we all know Lazarus died again. But Jesus was raised from the dead never to die and what he then gave unto man is a man that can never die. And John comes and he concludes that love or to be loved is to actually uh, be given eternal life. So the platform from where we as Christians truly feel loved is not anything but the revelation that we have been given eternal life. Now, if you don't understand bodily immortality or the physical resurrection of Jesus uh, or what this encompasses, I want to tell you, you can have great feelings of gratitude towards God. And that will be born in things like God is not going to punish you when you do something wrong. God accepts you just the way you are. He doesn't look at your sin. He sees your value and all those kind of things. And that will make you feel wanted. It might make you feel uh, very grateful it will bring definitely bring forth gratitude that you don't have to observe the law anymore and all those kind of things but i believe that according to john's teaching here and when we go and look at other passages that he was teaching we define he defines the love of god as god giving his only begotten son not referring to the cross now or only the cross, but actually to the resurrection, wherein God presents a human that has no bones in the grave, that cannot die, that lives forever. He presents us with that person as the word of promise about all of us, as well as the word of fulfillment about all of us. And that, John says, he calls that the love of God. If we look at the church, Today, we have had uh, basically two streams in the church. Uh, I'm talking about the background I came out of. We got a very conservative stream wherein it was all about, you know, God doesn't care about anything you, you have in this world. It's just about, and the poorer you are, the closer you are to God, and the holier you are, and so forth and that you're not sure of your salvation, and that you just do the right thing and obey the law and so forth. And then one day when Jesus comes, you will see if you are saved or not. 
and that God doesn't bother, is not bothered by your prosperity and those kind of things. Those are things you don't bother God with. And that's the kind of thing we had in the, the, in the uh, I had in the Dutch Reformed Church. Uh, but then I got into the Pentecostal church where everything was about the gifts of the Spirit. And then when we got into the charismatic church, it was all about prosperity. It was all about the prosperity gospel. It was all about health, wealth, and prosperity. How rich I can be and how much money God can give me that I will never struggle or have anything uh, missing or lacking in my life. That my pocketbook will be full and blessed and that I will always be healthy and all this kind of thing. This is almost like... We took what the hope of the gospel was in the return of Christ and we tried to make everything now. And um, with that gospel, I believe it brought also a lot of confusion as much as what the other one brought. Because in the one message, God is not involved in your day-to-day -day life. In the other one, it is all about prosperity and health and all those kind of things. Yet we find that in these charismatic churches, uh, everybody that has believed this, um, you know, have uh, well uh, difficult to word it this way but um, if you started to believe this in the beginning of the charismatic move there's a very big chance that you have already passed away because was here for many years and that you died of some sickness and we look at a very high percentage of the people that died in the charismatic move that believed upon Jesus and believed for the, in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, the facts of the matter is that most of those people didn't die just a peaceful death, uh, giving a last breath and going to Jesus kind of a thing. They, some of them suffered. Some of them died in accidents. Some of them had cancer. Some of them had incurable diseases. Bad things happened to them. And uh, the, the facts about those people's lives are that many of many people in the prosperity gospel are, have just got the same income as anybody else uh, on average. There's no act not actually a difference. And that brings a question in people's hearts and in the subconscious mind. And we feel rejected if we don't have those things that we believe that the great preacher that is telling us on how to prosper and how to have everything has. We don't have that and then we think there's something wrong with us. Yet we see in the life of the Apostle Paul and the life of the early church believers, um, a lot of them were poor people. We find that even those people were struggling with health issues, where Paul even gave to Timothy advice to drink a little bit of wine for his stomach's sake. He didn't say, well, stand in faith and have a miracle. We find a little bit of a different language than what we, uh, th that, that we thought things would be like or uh, according to. And um, uh, we, we see these people like, uh, we see these people being martyred yet happy. We find people like Stephen in the day of his stoning where he prays for those that persecute him, where the Apostle Paul, when he suffered under robbers, which is a scripture that many of us struggle with uh, in the charismatic move. And that is, I mean, he, he wasn't protected against robbers. He was, I believe, sometimes he was. And he had the unction of the Holy Spirit. Other times, you know, not to go into certain areas. Other times, uh, the brothers suffered under the robbers. Yet we find the Apostle Paul's churches as well. Just another point there. He planted churches everywhere and his churches didn't grow. 
That was what happened to the Apostle Paul. He would plant a church, it grows for a while, then law people comes in and messes the whole church up to the point that Paul was really frustrated, uh, you know, asking God for some help. But then God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. We find in the midst, and we see in the life of Paul, especially in the life of, 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 of the Apostle Paul and John and Peter and these people, if, if they were going through hard times, they didn't feel defeated. They would speak to God, God would speak to them. Maybe the situation didn't even change. Yet these people had great joy. We dealt with that in the last session in depth the joy of the hope of the resurrection that was in them. These people were happy. These people were spreading the gospel. They were loving on people. They were generous. They were all these things. Yet uh, there was something that made them happy. There was something that made them feel loved, which I think the church today doesn't really understand. John's definition of feeling loved was, and the reason why, if you have to ask John, John, why do you feel God loves you? Then he would say, here is the single reason why I feel God loves me. And I've recorded that in 1 John 3, and that is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We also find that uh, John goes on in, uh, in uh, 1 John uh, 3, and he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Sons of God talking about having eternal life. He says here, um, Therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and does not yet appear what we shall be. So what he says is we are the sons of God. This immortality doesn't yet manifest, but it shall manifest when he shall appear. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he says, every man that has this hope in himself uh, purifies himself even as he is pure. So John comes and he declares that the reason why he feels loved is because God declares him his son. Meaning, in the understanding of the Jewish mind, you have immortality which only God possesses. With you, I've shared eternal life. And that is what John declares the reason why he feels loved. Now I want to say this, and we're coming to the end of the introduction of this message, but I want to say this. John felt loved for only one reason, and that is because God promised and gave him eternal life. And nothing added to that. That was the reason he felt loved. He defined and he said, God loves the world. And if you can take it a calculation, a philosophical calculation, you can take it this way. You can say, well, if a person wants someone to live forever and be forever with him, or if a person wants to give unto another one his kingdom, or if he wants to share his very life with him, never to be apart from him, and if he comes and becomes one of them to share his life with them, we cannot but conclude that this person loves the other one. And John defines the love of God in this one thing, you have been given eternal life. And with that in mind, I today can feel loved. I was, you know, I was thinking last, the last uh, two Sundays that we were preaching, we both Sundays had serious trouble with the sound. And, um, you know, I was preaching about feeling loved and the only way and the only reason why I can feel loved 
is because of the resurrection. And then the sound just turns off in our live broadcast. And uh, two weeks ago, we had to re-record it, um, uh, broadcast it later. Last week, we had the same problem again. Uh, uh, two of the parts that I had, both of them blew up and put another one in, and it seems as if it's working today. But in that, I could not feel not loved by God, not protected by God, not safe, because electronics break. My love, the, the, the feeling of love is defined in the fact that I have eternal life. And if all of that happened, the feeling of being loved by God did not change this much. And that would be true for anything. The place we can actually experience the love of God the most and know that God loves us the most is when we stand at an open grave, wherein the hope of the resurrection is the only thing that's in our minds where we can feel the love of God, knowing that our loved one will be raised from the dead. Amen. Now, uh, I'm going to continue because now into the second part of this message, and this is to describe and explain the commandment. What is a commandment? Remember, the Bible says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, I want to just read on what a commandment is. I'm going to read from John 10, verse 14. You can just jot this down. John 10, 14. It says, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep, and I am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying something here which I only find explained in Ephesians 2.11 by the Apostle Paul. And I don't think other people really understood it. The Jews struggled to understand this, but Paul did. What Jesus is saying here is that he's got sheep of a different fold. He is the shepherd of them as well. Now he's referring to the Gentiles. So he had the Jews as his sheep or his people, and then he had the Gentiles as his people, but the Jews never saw the Gentiles as his people. And then he basically said that, I have to come and lay down my life. In other words, I have to basically become sin. And if I can become sin, then I can unify both Jew and Gentile in one body. That's what we now find in Ephesians 2, which we can read later on. But what he's trying to say is, um, God has given me this thing, bring the other people into the fold. And what is that? What are you talking about there? He's saying, and I want you to, to grasp this, it's a little bit uh, complicated to understand. But you find the Jews and you find the Gentiles. And remember, Jesus said here, and he's now talking about the commandment to God, that God has given him. He says, that I have to bring these two people into one fold. And the way I'm going to do that is by laying down my life. In other words, entering death, becoming sin and dying. He says, but the Father has told me that I can lay down my life, but that I can take it up again. In other words, I can say, well, I, I can die, but 
knowing that I can also be raised from the dead. That's what he said. And this is what he says. He says, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I've received of my father. So what is the commandment that Jesus has? The commandment that Jesus has is this. I give unto you eternal life. This is now my words in summarizing that passage. Should you die as a sinner and enter death, you would represent both Jew, who is a sinner according to the law, and Gentile, who is a sinner for he doesn't even have the law, and that you would represent both of them, that I will raise you up from the dead. And this is my commandment towards you. My commandment is eternal life for you, Jesus. And as you believe upon my commandment, you will find that you bring salvation to people. Now, the point that I want to make is this, that the commandment, remember, the reason why I talk about commandment is, the Bible says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you will love one another as I have loved you. Now, we're defining commandment. Commandment simply here means the promise of eternal life. That is all it is. Jesus had a commandment, and his commandment was that he had the power to lay down his life, and he had the power to take it up again. And we have a commandment today. The commandment towards us is that believe upon Jesus, and when you die, you'll have the power to take up your life again by the promise of God, by the Holy Spirit. So we have a commandment. What is our commandment? Our commandment is to believe upon the one that was raised from the dead. Here, Jesus' commandment was that the commandment unto Jesus was, I promise you eternal life. What's the commandment unto us? I promise you eternal life, Jesus said. You know, he says that the, he has the power to give eternal life to whosoever he wants. So here we see the same commandment towards us. Now, um, I want to read, I'm not going to do uh, Ephesians 2, but you can jot down Ephesians 2 from verse 11 to 15. This is where Paul talks about Jesus taking the two, making of the two one new man, abolishing the law, uh, wherein it actually points to the commandment here. So the commandment was, um, I will raise you from the dead and through that make of the two, Jew and Gentile, one new man. And that is what it talks about. Now I want to read John 12, verse 48. It says, He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. John 12, 50. And I know that his commandment is everlasting life. So what is the commandment that God has? Jesus says clearly here that the message of eternal life, and if you've believed on that or not, is what will judge you in the last day. So here it says that His commandment is everlasting life. So Jesus had a commandment. God gave to Jesus a commandment. Jesus, I've commanded you unto eternal life. I command eternal life towards you. And what did Jesus do? He obeyed the commandment. How did he obey the commandment? He believed. He believed. So what did Jesus feel? The Bible says in many instances that, that Jesus declared that the Father loves the Son. 
and he loves him and that he will raise him from the dead and that we will also have the love of God, which is the resurrection. So we find that Jesus is walking in the commandment of God, which is the promise of eternal life. We find that Jesus is walking in the love of God, which is what? Which is the promise of eternal life. So God's commandment is, the Bible says he's commended. Another word for that I would use is commanded. His love towards us while we're yet sinners in giving Jesus that he could die and be raised from the dead so that we can have eternal life. So what is the love of God? What is the commandment of God? The commandment of God is the promise of eternal life. What is the love of God? The love of God is to actually bring a man into the Godhead, Jesus, that has conquered our sin, conquered our death, so that unto Jew and Gentile, every human being can be given the promise of eternal life bodily in Jesus. That is the commandment and the love of God. Okay, now I want to look at this commandment uh, where the Bible says a new commandment I give unto you, and then we're going to go over to what love in the New Testament is. It says in John 13, 33, Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, and you shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know you, my disciples, if you have love one for another. Okay. The, um, this past, you know, when I was preparing this and i mean the whole week i've been thinking about i've been thinking about this for three weeks and how to communicate this made uh, two sunday messages to lay a foundation and now uh, i come to communicate this and i will see how it comes forth and and if i can really say what i see here but there's a depth to this which is greater than just uh, surface reading look at what jesus says here in verse 33 he says little children yet a little while i'm with you you shall see me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised up, and you can't come there right now into this resurrection. And then he says, because of my death and my resurrection, I can now give a new commandment unto you. In other words, he says, my death and my resurrection causes me to give you something new. And that is, listen, believe upon me that I will make you immortal. That is the new commandment. And he says, this new commandment that I give unto you will then bring forth love amongst one another. Now, what was the Jewish understanding and what was in the mind of John when he defined love here? We define love many times as being soppy. You know, um, you know, we're just always smiling, doing everything according to certain personality types, you know, that might even be too scared to say something or so, so forth, where we feel guilty if we're not always so kind and always so loving and all those kind of things, where we live with an underlying feeling of guilt. But what was John's understanding of love? John's understanding of love was simply this. Jew and Gentile didn't love each other. And now... A man died and he was resurrected, making of the two folds one new fold with one shepherd. 
And now these people can love one another. Why? Because they will not judge one another according to the law of commandments, calling some insiders and some outsiders based to ethnicity. That is what he's talking about. Now that might sound very complicated and everything and say bad to you, like the one guy said. He says, uh, you know, some people read the scriptures just too deep. We must just take it for face value and take, interpret everything literally. Now, if we want to take it literally, this is what it means. John is having a certain mindset on what love is. And there wasn't love between Jew and Gentile. There, uh, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself was not, some, was not even defined between Jew and Gentile. But here Jesus comes and he gave a new commandment. And this new commandment he gave actually makes it possible to love the Gentile or to love the Jew. And this is the commandment that he basically gave. God took the sin of both people groups, put it in one person, died it away, raised up, a new, uh, raised up the same man, yet uh, without sin, without death, and in that everybody has now presented with the new man, the one that doesn't live by the law but by faith, and this man now, this new Jesus, if you want, want to call him a new Jesus, a resurrected Jesus above sin, above death, he causes both Jew and both Gentile to say, I have now the promise of eternal life. So here he's coming and he's saying that he had a love wherewith he loved people. What was the love that he loved people with? He loved people by giving eternal life to Jew as well as to Gentile. And by that, he brought all the two folds, one new fold. So that we can now walk in the love that God has, which is to see life, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Wherein the Jew would lay down their life, wherein they found their lives in being Jews, but where they can do what Jesus has done, in laying down their lives, meaning saying, I don't define myself as a child of God anymore by being a Jew, but I lay down that life and I now do what Jesus has done. I die towards that and I see myself as a child of God based on him conquering sin and death. And should I see myself as a child of God on that basis, I cannot exclude the Gentile. And that would be walking in love to one another. That would be walking in the love of God. I hope you can start to understand what I am uh, trying to get at here. Let us just, just read 1 Corinthians 13, verse 33 and 34 again. It says, Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you shall, see, you shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go you cannot come. So now I say unto you, Talking about the death and the resurrection. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 1 John 2, 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. Now this might sound confusing, but hear what he's saying. But an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which I've spoken unto you from the beginning. Now what is this word that was from the beginning? We have studied that in the previous two sessions. 
and uh, in sessions before that, the word that was from the beginning was the promise of eternal life. First John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which our eyes have seen, which our hands have handled, which we have touched as pertaining to the word of life, that we declare unto you. So John comes and he says that the commandment which was from the beginning, which was the word or the promise of eternal life, that I declare unto you. But then he goes on, he says, yet something new I declare unto you as well. It says, and this is true, because we are not in darkness, but we've passed unto, into light. It says, he that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light as there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and know not where he go because that the darkness has blinded his eyes. So what is he talking about here? He says the old commandment, the commandment which was from the beginning, which we declare as the commandment of life, that we declare unto you, but we add something new to it. That does not, we are not excluding the Gentile now. And that means we are walking in love. So I want to say to you that has been trying to walk in love and feeling you're not qualified, and this is the point I'm trying to make. This is basically the bottom line of what I'm trying to say. If you can believe that the gospel is the same for Jew and Gentile, you love your neighbor. That is what John was trying to say. You see, we don't understand the culture of that time. We don't understand the setting of the scriptures. Uh, so many times, like fools, we want to take this Bible and just open a scripture and read one verse and say, Thus saith the Lord. It is not a sin to study my friend. It's not a sin to try and study the background. It's not a, a sin to try and see the context. It is the way it's supposed to be. That is how we understand what was said back then and what, how it applies to us. What was said back then and what Jesus was actually declaring is this. Jew and Gentile are not loving one another. There's not peace between one another. But Jesus Christ came and he had the commandment of eternal life. Because he had the commandment of eternal life, he had the commandment that he could lay down his life and take it up. He could bring the people that were in the other fold into one fold so that there's one shepherd and one fold. Not one shepherd and two folds, but one shepherd and one fold. And in doing that, he made of the two both Jew and Gentile, one new person. So that the Jew does not look down on the Gentile anymore, but the, and the Gentile doesn't hate the Jew anymore, but they can say, we both have the hope of eternal life. There's no difference between one another. We don't have issues with one another because the law and commandments, which was causing this enmity between Jew and Gentile, is taken out of the way for the same promises now towards all. Those who believe in eternal life for both Jew and Gentile, you are loving one another as Jesus has loved you. That's what it means. <laughs> you might say, but Bertie, I have always then loved my neighbor. I have then always loved my neighbor as myself then. Yes. You see, the devil wanted to deceive us. We, we, 
we, we looked at the commandment where it was, uh, uh, the new commandment where it says a new commandment I give unto you, that, that with that there in the Greek is so that, it's causative. In other words, so that you would love one another. We have seen the commandment as this is the commandment, you better love one another if you want to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm going to bring forth something that you can that can cause you to love other people as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Jesus loved us to say, I bring you into my fold and I give you the promise of eternal life. So now we can love the Gentile, or I can't even say that. I am, according to the Jews, the Gentile. Should I have been a Jew, I could have said, now I can look at the Gentile and say, he's got the same promise. He's not excluded. Um, I don't see myself as a Jew according to the flesh anymore. I don't see myself according to the works of the law anymore. I see myself according to the promise of the resurrection. And I see that there's just one fold wherein both Jew and Gentile is one. And from there, I deal with the Gentile. From there, I deal with the, with the Jew. And that causes me to walk in unity. And that is what that is simply what is written here. That is all. That is what's written here. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to go back to the passage I didn't want to read, but I'm going to read it now. Ephesians 2:11. It says, "Wherefore remember that you, being in the times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ." I mean. Literally, they weren't without Christ, but according to the law system, they didn't. Christ was not for them. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and the promises, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, Christ Je but now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition. What is the middle wall of partition? That's not a wall between us and God. It talks about the wall between Jew and Gentile, which was the law, wherein the promise was to the one and seemingly not to the other one, where there was not peace between each other, where there was not love between each other. It says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law and the commandments ordained in ordinances to make in himself of the two, one new man, so making peace and so causing people to love one another. You must remember, the Jews walked and said, there's no salvation for the Gentile. You are the enemy of God. God loves us. He doesn't love you. And that God will come and redeem us from your oppression. For God loves Jews only. That's what the Jews believed back then. They were an arrogant bunch. Racists. <laughs> they were racists. Plain forward racism. Because they said, we are the people of God because of our race. Racists. And here Jesus comes and he makes of the two, the racist Jew 
and the Gentile, one new man, in abolishing the commandment with ordinances, which declared the Jews Jews and the Gentiles Gentiles, because in the new commandment, which is that eternal life is promised to humans in the resurrection of Jesus, both Jew and Gentile can now have the promise of eternal life. And therefore, there is no uh, uh, enmity anymore, but peace and love. So I want to say to you, if you believe that Jew and Gentile is exactly the same, and you believe eternal life is a promise to all of them free from the works of the law, and that you are the same, you are walking in the love of God. You're already walking in the love of God. You're not seeing separation anymore. Amen. Now, in the last 10 minutes, I'm going to try and um, explain 1 Corinthians 13. Now we're getting out of the writings of John, basically, which we have discussed in depth now. Um, and we're going into Paul. 1 Corinthians 13. I don't know why didn't I put it in here. Let us read it. Uh, I'm going to read it from, from my Bible. Here it is. It says... I think you've got a nice understanding of what love means and walking in love. It says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I've become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Paul is coming and I believe he's addressing separation where we are believing that some people are part of the body and others aren't part of the body. That's what he's talking. And this is in the light of... Um, 1 Corinthians 12 here where it talks about the gifts and where some people thought that they are not part of the body if you don't have certain spiritual gifts. We find that today. We say to people, because you don't pray in tongues, you're not, you're not saved. Because you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of praying in tongues, you're not a child of God. That's the kind of thing he's addressing here where they are saying that those don't have the hope of the resurrection or the hope of eternal life. He's addressing that, and he's now actually saying, you're not walking in love anymore. In the beginning, the, 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 the difference was between Jew and Gentile, but now you as the church in Corinth, you've made this whole thing about spiritual gifts. If somebody cannot pray in tongues, then he's not a child of God. He's not part of the body. And then he says, can, then he goes on, he says, can everybody be an eye? Can everybody be an ear? Can everybody be an hand? He says, no, we are we've got different parts with different giftings, but we are of one body. And you can see now, now Paul comes with the whole reasoning and the foundation that I've laid up to now in the first 40 minutes of this message, how, how he comes and he, he uses that as the foundation where he's now trying to describe a greater way of living, which is living by the love of God, which is the promise of eternal life, which is clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 13. Now it says here, <coughs> um, let me read from verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. This is 12.27. And God has set some in the church, first to be apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governs, diversities of tongues. Or are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gift of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yes, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So what he is saying here is, uh, desire the gift, but the way wherein you live and relate to one another should not be on the basis of what gift you have. 
So he's using the same thing with Jew and Gentile. The Jews have the gift of we have the law. The Gentiles don't have that. So they are outsiders, we are insiders. The same thing happened here in the church. They said because you don't have these gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting in your life, you, there's something wrong with you, there's something, something's coming short. And what's happening is that they were living in and defining people inside the gifts and not inside the love of God, which is the promise of the resurrection. Now he comes, he says, Though I speak with tongues of men, men of angels, and I have not love. What is love here? Love, according to what I have preached and showed you, is the feeling of, can be the feeling, and also the doctrine of eternal life for all people, be they Jews or Gentiles. So they come with separation system here. They, he says here, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. So if you have got the gifts of the Spirit, but you don't understand the message of the resurrection, and you're not relating to people on the basis of the resurrection, you're just making a noise. That's what he is saying. Now, let me just say this so that your mind will know where I'm going. We're going to look at love as the perfect that is to come. And that perfect that is to come is when we are not looking into a glass, verse 12, but face to face, where we don't know in part, but where we, where we are known, talking about the resurrection. So he comes and he says, if we don't walk in love, we should walk in love towards one another this walking in love is in the revelation of the resurrection that is what we should walk in if you can pray in tongues but you are excluding the gentiles because you are not seeing the message of the resurrection you are making a noise you're just making noise that's what he's saying. He says, even if I've got the gift to prophesy and understand all mysteries and the knowledge that I should have all faith so that I could remove mountains and I have not love. I am nothing. Why is he saying that? You don't have the hope of the resurrection. You're not living in the power of the resurrection. You're not understanding the resurrection. You're just walking with your mind all wrapped up in gifts. He says you are nothing. That, why nothing? Because dust you are and unto dust you will return. You are walking in your nothingness. You are walking in your flesh. You are walking in the, like Jesus. You know, the Bible says he told people to go and cast out devils. Then they casted out the devils and they were highly impressed about the devils that were cast out. Then Jesus said to him, don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you in my name. Rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Or if you connect that to other scriptures, that your name is written in the book of life. Rather see that you've got the promise of eternal life and let that be your joy and don't let the gifts. Jesus warned them immediately because they were living in the flesh again. They're not living in what he has come to give them. He says, and though I bestow my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burnt and I have not love, it will profit me nothing. So what profits you is the message of love, walking in the love of God, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the revelation of it. The message of the resurrection believed called Love here, walking in the commandment of God or the love of God, the promise of eternal life, suffers long and is kind. It envies not. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. 
It does not behave unseemly. It seeks not her own, is not evil, easily provo uh, provoked, and thinks no evil. So we can find here that Paul is actually saying under his breath that you think you do all these good things for God by the gifts. Listen, if you just have the love of God, these things manifest anyway. You cannot have your identity in what you do for God or whatever God brings forth in you. You have your identity in the resurrected Jesus and only Him. It says, love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, here's the key. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails or love cannot die. Love has eternal life. The promise of the resurrection is eternal. Please replace the word love there with the promise of the resurrection, the love of God for humanity. If you walk in the love of God for humanity, how do you walk in love? You walk in the promise that God has promised eternal life to both Jew and both Gentile. So it says here, that promise of eternal life cannot fail. But where there be prophecies, they will fail. Where there be tongues, they will end. Where there be knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which cannot pass away, which is what? The promise of the resurrection, which is the love of God. He says, that which is in part shall be done away with. So what he's saying to them is, listen, you want to find your life in what's temporal. You'll pass away with it. Rather find your life in what is eternal, which is the physical resurrected Jesus, wherein all people are included. Those who believe upon it shall partake in it. That is what he is saying here. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. So what he's actually saying here is, when you become grown up, you put away childish things. And he likens that to what will take place in the day of the resurrection of Jesus. That that which, which these people found their life in, in how many miracles they can have, how they can prophesy, all that will pass away. So you don't want to pass away with what is passing away. You want to have your life in the resurrected Christ and in the love of God. He says, For now we see in a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall then shall I be known even as I am known. Now, so what he says here, walk in love, for love is eternal. The ending this orphan is going to be beautiful with first Corinthians uh, uh, John, first John. 1 John 3. Listen to this. This is going to, this is the way to end this. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. This is 1 John 3, 1. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and does not yet appear what we shall be. It's like dimly, we're seeing dimly. Connecting 1 Corinthians 13 now. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So what is 1 Corinthians 13? And this is what I try to say in the last three sessions. I've preached all three sessions just to say this. 1 Corinthians 13, when the Bible says to walk in love when it talks about uh, uh, basically a better way which is the way of lo love is 
to walk in the revelation of the resurrection for both Jew and Gentile, where people are not excluded. For that revelation includes wonderful fruit. And he says that whatsoever we have now as pertaining to the gifts of the Spirit are temporal, let us not define our lives in what is temporal and what passes away, but let us rather define our lives in what is eternal, which is the love of God, which is the message of the resurrection. I want to say to you, if you believe that the resurrection is for both Jew and Gentile uh, and that it's not by the works of the law and you can declare that message to both Jew and Gentile alike, you are walking in the love of God. And as you walk in that love of God, you will find kindness and love and peace towards people wherein you will be generous and you will give and those kind of things. But those giving and generosity and those things, those are not the commandments. The commandment is, I promise you, eternal life. Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you so much that you've listened to this. I've really enjoyed this message myself. It must sound full of pride, but uh, it's not me that's trying to put forth a beautiful message. It's the message that is beautiful. It is the truth of the gospel. It is what God has done for you. And I trust that you had a little bit of insight or deeper insight into what love means in the New Testament and how it worked in that time. Continue. I don't want to command you and say you must go. I want to say continue to walk in the love of God for I know all of you that are listening to this are believing that the resurrection is true for both Jew and Gentile, that there is no more Jew, no more Gentile, or those kind of things, but that we are all in the hope of the resurrection because unto us was given the only begotten, the resurrected Jesus, as our hope. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for watching, and then I will see you guys again next week. God bless you.